0: Let's go ahead and do another underrated segment. When is the last time you bought a poster? Posters were everything when I was growing up. And when I was growing up, a poster was more than just another piece of decoration for your wall. It really was a reset for me. I don't know if anyone else took posters as seriously as I did, but whenever I would get a poster, it was a whole event. Now, most of my posters were sports-themed. I probably would have had girl crushes and actresses and things like that on my walls, but I was not allowed to. Um, that was frowned upon. <laughs> Guys being interested in girls was frowned upon. No, seriously. How I was brought up, there was no such thing as having girls' provocative posters on the walls. However, I do remember my mom suddenly buying a poster for her room when I was still living at home and it said buns and roses. (laughs) And it was a picture of this guy. You could just see from his neck down to maybe mid thigh. He had no shirt on wearing jeans facing away from the camera. And he had one arm behind his back holding roses. And then, and the poster said buns and roses Double standards, I tell you. No, but my posters were mostly sports themed. And whenever I would get a new poster, as I mentioned, it was a whole event. I would save up the money because back then posters were a whopping $5. And I would go get my poster. And that was always something that you had to take your time with as well. I don't know where you guys got posters from, but when I went to look for posters, they used to be in those little like gigantic menus to where you could flip through them to see the different ones and on the corner of any given poster would be the location which matched the bottom area where all the posters were stored and so many times i would look through the posters flipping through over and over and finally decide on one only to look in the bottom section to see that that poster was gone every once in a while you would get lucky though because someone had simply moved the poster out of the correct slot to a different one, so if you took your time, you could sometimes find those gems. But most of the time when I was looking for posters, it had to do with the Chicago Bulls or Michael Jordan. Growing up, I was a huge Michael Jordan, huge Chicago Bulls fan, and that was my go-to. Most of the time, I would get lucky enough to find the poster I wanted, so I would pick out the poster, take it home, but then this is where the event took place. I wouldn't just simply hang the poster on the wall. I would... Set the poster on my dresser, still sealed and rolled up, and then I would clean like the Queen of England was coming over. Like, ceiling to floor. White glove, no dust. (laughs) Organize and rearrange, even, my entire room. I'm talking about move beds over, slide the dresser. I don't want the closet to be there anymore. Not that far, but close. Completely rearrange my whole room, clean everything out, and then delicately unwrap that poster, slide that plastic off like a snakeskin, make sure I had my four thumbtacks on my dresser ready to go, and then I would place one thumbtack in a corner, and then slowly pull up the other end and gently place the tack in that corner, and unroll it just about a third of the way down. Then I would take a few steps back to measure it with my eyes to make sure it was straight, and then I would continue unrolling it and finish off The bottom two thumbtacks. And then I remember (laughs) just sitting on the edge of my bed looking at the new poster for maybe five, ten minutes too long to where you almost thought, is he okay? But I would just marvel at it, and it was enough for me to clean up like I had never cleaned. This is such a powerful memory, and why I'm considering this underrated, why posters are underrated, because I I mentioned in the previous episode, there's a lot of nostalgia attached to this. And so even now we're about to move and I have lofty aspirations to have finally my own entertainment man cave type situation whenever we get a house. And I desperately want to replace the posters I had when I was growing up. The thing is, I've started to look up some of these posters and they are incredibly rare and incredibly expensive so side note if anybody knows how to take a photo from the interwebs and then maybe blow it up into a poster i'll even go that route i can do a replica for now okay i don't have to have the actual artist rendering for example one poster i had was a door poster oh my goodness even more underrated do you guys remember door posters i had a door poster again of michael jordan and it was on the back of my door From the top of the door all the way to the bottom. And it was a side picture of him coming in for a slam dunk. Mouth open, tongue out, Red Bulls jersey. And I had that on my door. And in the last few weeks, I've started to kind of look up on Amazon and different websites to see if I can find these posters. And I found that same door poster. It's currently on eBay. For $1,250. So... I'm going to need at least three or four more stimmies before I can do that. But I remember getting a poster and how much it just changed my whole life. Now, my room became a mess in about two or three days after that, but for a while, at least 48 hours, that room was spotless and I would just stare at the poster. I had a ceiling fan in my room and I remember as the ceiling fan would work and sometimes the air would get behind those posters. It would kind of pull it away from the wall as well as stretch it on those thumbtacks. And so it started to tear the corners a little bit. And I would always take the thumbtack out and re-straighten and re-pull the poster up and tighten it over and over and over. This would drive me crazy because it left several holes in the poster and it was also tearing it. And would you know that I was basically Elon Musk and I was so innovative that I came up with buying a black poster board. And I cut little slivers and made my own little black-ended framing of the poster, and then I would stick the thumbtacks through the poster board and the poster, and that resolved the problem. I should have patented that. Think about it real quick. Especially those around my age, maybe a little bit younger, what was your first poster? Do you remember that excitement you would get when you would get a poster? Did anybody else clean their entire room like I did? for me posters are definitely underrated
1: you are now listening
0: to the just breathe podcast So I'm still working a little bit on the voiceover portion of that, but I'm excited for the new intro music that you just listened to. I hope you like it. I would like to give a shout out and kudos to my brother-in-law, John, for laying the tracks down and creating that masterpiece with very little help from me (laughs) when it came from direction. But that is a homemade piece of audio And he's also working on some other stuff to make this podcast even better for all 40 listeners. So be on the lookout. So this next part of the podcast is actually something that I don't think I've ever done. About 99% of the stories that I tell on this podcast are all from my own life experience and things I've either witnessed directly or have experienced myself, or sometimes indirectly with some family members, but I was captivated by a story that's actually a few years old, but recently came across one of my YouTube binges. I'm not sure if you guys do YouTube binges to where you're watching YouTube and you start off with some impressive orchestra piece you saw, and then two and a half hours later, you're watching tornadoes that ripped cows out of farmhouses. It was one of those one of those YouTube situations to where I wasn't looking for the story when it came across my path. However, it has captured me and I found myself going down a very deep rabbit hole, no pun intended. That'll make sense in a few minutes. Following every detail of this story and the unbelievable, devastating tragedy of this situation. And it's been so captivating for me and on my mind nonstop that I felt I wanted to share it. Now this is a visual story, but I'm hoping that I can bring it to life as much as possible. And then as a little bonus to you, I'm going to direct you to some visuals of the same story. So you may, if you choose to, at your own risk, view the videos that I saw. I have talked a lot about my fears in this podcast. And for those that know me very well, I have a very strong fear, actually for a lot of things, when I break down the list, it's a little, little bit embarrassing. But I have a very strong fear of the ocean because I feel like there's so much unknown. I'm not that great of a swimmer. And I don't like knowing that of something has been undiscovered. It's just so vast and so scary and so deep. And I don't know what's in there. And whatever is in there knows that I'm there. And it doesn't want me to be there. It's just, it's a horrible situation. I can't even get in boats that go out on lakes. Because I feel like somehow the lake is attached to the ocean. So it all connects. And whatever gigantic lurking monster is under the water. It doesn't care if it's a lake or an ocean. There's a lot of... Logic that's dismissed with my fears But if we can for a few minutes, let's just pretend that we all believe in a hell Okay, H-E-L-L We all believe in hell And beyond that, let's pretend that if you go to hell That hell is simply whatever your worst nightmare is So I'm not talking about Bible hell, fire, the devil I'm talking about whatever your fear is right now Whatever your worst case scenario That's your personal hell. So in this little role play, and it's going to get a little dark, but let's pretend you've passed away and now you're facing your hell. So for a few seconds, just think of whatever your never ending nightmare may be. For me, it used to be being in an airplane, which I'm also afraid of. However, I will get in an airplane, but I will not get in a boat. So the ocean still outranks it, but airplane is a close second. My hell or my never ending nightmare of worst case scenario that I could think of would be if I was in an airplane just about a hundred feet above the ocean on a loop, meaning I never took off. I never landed. I was just constantly in the airplane, but a hundred feet. That means really low like close to the ocean waters. I have a window seat and I'm forced to look out the window. Just saying that scenario can make me get a little chest pain of anxiety like that is my nightmare now you might be thinking okay i can think of a hundred things worse than that right off the top of my head and maybe so but that's where my fear resides until i came across this story and i think we may have a new champion in the realms of what can i imagine as the worst nightmare situation to be in Especially if it was in a hell situation that I just made up that was repeating on a loop. Most of you have probably heard of this sport or activity or extreme sport. Splunking. S-P-E-L-U-N-K-I-N-G. Also known as cave divers or cave explorers. People, I think they're people, I don't know what they're thinking, but... People who go into caves and explore caves for hobby and for fun. And the more extreme examples of this are those who go into these extremely claustrophobic, tight spaces. Now, pausing real quick, I did see the movie The Descent several years ago, and I think that's the first time I felt like claustrophobia was possibly somewhere in my fear family, but I've never experienced it directly myself. Like I've never been in really enclosed spaces or places to where I felt claustrophobic. Sometimes in an elevator, I guess. But that movie kind of made me feel nervous for the person I was watching. So I knew it was there, but it kind of went away. However, this story that I'm about to walk you through showed up in my YouTube viewing and it has captivated me. So, Most of you have probably heard of these cave divers, these cave explorers, but I don't know that you know this story, and I cannot think of a more devastating, terrifying situation than the story of John Jones. This happened actually back in 2009 in Utah, and the name of the cave that... John Jones and some friends and family were going to was known as Nutty Putty the Nutty Putty Cave. Now the Nutty Putty Cave was named Nutty Putty because within the cave walls some of the walls were very soft and had like clay like substances and material to where it almost would drip at times hence the name Nutty Putty. Nutty Putty Cave located in Utah did have a history in fact nutty putty had almost claimed a few young boy scouts a few years before john jones walked into its opening after those close calls with death nutty putty was actually shut down for several years then it was opened back up it was opened back up with certain requirements however you had to fill out paperwork, you had to have an appointment, almost like if you were going to take an airplane ride. The whole goal there was to keep people from flocking and just going to the cave on their own without any type of qualifications, if you will. John Jones was someone, along with his family, who had some cave exploring experience. But in 2009, it had been several years since he had done any of that. He was now married with a young daughter with a wife that was pregnant. He was coming back to Utah to visit for Thanksgiving. And once he got to Utah, his brother met him at the airport. His brother's name was Josh. And they had decided that they would get together with some of the friends and family to go to Nutty Putty, now that it was finally open again, to explore and to check it out. As you probably know from my intro, this story does not end well and John's first trip into Nutty Putty would also be his last. So John and his brother Josh and a few friends got together they decided to head to Nutty Putty. They got there on the evening of November 24th around 8 or 9pm. John is 26 years old at this time, his brothers a few years younger at 23 they were ready to go into the cave to explore but if I was going to go into a cave which I'm never going to do this if I was going to do it I would number one want to have a map of the cave I'm not looking to explore new tunnels but I want to have a map of it I want to have equipment flashlights I also want to have a guide there and a few doctors and then maybe the president and Jesus I want them all there with me now there's several reasons I couldn't go into a cave but some of them are just very straightforward. Like number one, six out of 10 times when I bend over to tie my shoe, I get a severe cramp in my left thigh. (laughs) So I'm not going to be able to shimmy and squiggle and wiggle and squeeze myself through anything because I'm going to have an immediate cramp that's going to shut down the whole expedition two minutes into it. Secondly, I'm about 40 pounds overweight. So my fat ass is not going to squeeze into anything smaller than a doorway. So there's a few practical reasons that cave diving is not on my list. But even if it was, let's say I got super trimmed, let's say I drank a lot of water and got rid of all the potential leg cramps, I still would not be doing this. John is at the entrance to Nutty Putty with his family and friends. It's been years since he's gone into the caves. Obviously he's grown up. At this time he's about six feet tall and he weighs just a little over 200 pounds. As they go into the cave with no mapping and really no plans other than just to spend a couple hours searching the caves, they begin to split up and explore. About an hour into their expedition, John is on a mission to find a certain part of Nutty Putty that is known as the Birth Canal. Now I mentioned some of the visuals and I will have some of the videos, not of John's expedition, but other people who went to that cave. my Facebook page the Just Breathe Facebook page so if you want to go check that out again I would say it's a little bit of a trigger warning especially when you attach the story to it but it is also it's like watching those videos where guys are jumping off tall buildings or hanging off tall buildings to where you feel like your palms getting sweaty it's that same situation minus Eminem so John decides that he wants to find this formation and tunnels known as the birth canal famously known for extremely tight fit and squeezing through hence the name and so he decides to go and look for that while his brother Josh is also exploring. John finds what he believes is the birth canal tunnel and he starts to squeeze himself into it. He goes in head first. And if you've seen some of these videos, some of these videos are literally shoulder to shoulder touching walls on all sides of you. And it really is just you wiggling inches at a time to make any progress. In fact, Some six and eight foot sections take 30 and 40 minutes to get through because they're such a tight fit. So John finds this opening, goes in head first, like you do, and starts to wiggle and crawl his way through using his fingers and hips and stomach to kind of maneuver and almost inchworm himself through this. But within minutes, he realized that he had made a huge mistake. John had discovered not the birth canal, but another tunnel that had been uncharted. So as he's going into this tunnel, it hasn't registered yet that this is the wrong place. This is not the spot he's looking for. But he's already wedged himself forward. And if you can imagine how difficult it is to crawl forward in these type spaces, it's almost impossible to crawl backwards. So he was faced with the decision to just keep going and hopefully there's an opening not too far away. The problem was, the tunnel that John was going into had a few extra degrees of difficulty. If you want to get a reference, the tunnel that John was in was 10 inches by 18 inches. Probably the size of a front-loading washer, if you can imagine. As he's squeezing through this, he's having to suck air in to make himself a little bit smaller to squeeze forward. Unfortunately, he discovers that the end of the tunnel, wherever it is, if there's an end to the tunnel, is nowhere near. And on one of the last times that he inhales to make himself a little bit smaller to go forward, he exhales and also pulls his arms up underneath his chest. And then, as he lets the air go, he is stuck. Rock formations touching all sides of his body his hands up underneath his chest. While climbing into this spot, he also had himself into about a 60 degree to 70 degree angle facing down, meaning his feet were above his head. He tried calling out for his brother, who eventually heard him. His brother made his way to where John's location was, but could only see his feet sticking out from the curved tunnel that John was now stuck in. Obviously the first things he tried to do was pull his legs, pull his feet, but John was not budging. They said off some prayers and then Josh decided to go get help. John was trapped in this tunnel facing down in an angle, 400 feet into the cave, 100 feet below the earth's surface. By the time Josh got out, got help, and they got to the location three hours had passed. They were facing so many challenges. The way John had got his body into the tunnel was the first issue as all the blood was rushing to his head and was making his heart work a lot faster to pump the blood, which introduced several issues. Either John's heart could stop at any time from working too hard, or if they even were to get him out, should he get right side up again, the pressure of the blood flowing back to the body after being in that position for so long could have also killed him. Secondly, the way that John had got his body into this tunnel, his feet were face down and pulling on his feet only gave them a few inches before he was hitting the backside of the tunnel. Which means they were faced with a decision to break his legs the opposite way that your knees bend. But they were worried if they decided to do that, the shock of the situation with all the blood rushing to his head could also kill him. They finally decided to come up with a pulley system. Keep in mind he's 400 feet into the cave, 100 feet down into the earth. So they decided to come up with a pulley system situation to where they attached a harness to John's legs and then throughout the cave all the way out the 400 feet they attached pulley rigged systems as the ropes kind of found its way through the turns and twists of the cave out to the opening. They decided that they would use this method as one of the last attempts to get him out. The rescuers finally got the go ahead to begin pulling. The rescuers began to pull. The ropes started to pull John's legs. He actually started to come out of the tunnel. They were gaining a few inches every 20, 30 seconds. It was working. During the pulling, without warning unfortunately, one of the pulleys failed. Most likely because, back to the reason it's called Nutty Putty, the cave walls just had too much clay and it gave way. When the pulley broke, part of the rock formation came with it and actually smashed one of the rescue workers. He lived, but had a lot of injuries, broken leg and concussion. But more heartbreaking was that the final attempt to pull John out had failed. John's wife shows up at the scene. They give her a walkie-talkie. One of the rescuers takes a walkie-talkie down to where John's location is. He is able to have a few moments of conversation with his wife as the rescue workers feeling that the last attempt is over, they gotta come up with something else now. But time was ticking. 27 hours into this ordeal, John was stuck in this tunnel, in that position for 27 hours before his heart finally gave up and he passed away. The rescue workers spent 27 hours trying to save him. More terrifying than that, once they had identified that John had passed and pronounced him dead on the scene, they were still stuck with the problem of getting John out. Eventually, it was decided that they would not attempt to remove John. Instead, they would allow this to be his burial ground. The decision was made to get all the rescue workers out. They ended up dynamiting the entrance to Nutty Putty and then concrete sealing it over. I cannot think of a more terrifying ordeal from beginning to end. To find yourself stuck, to know what's coming, to accept that you're not coming out. And now that place that you wanted to go explore with your friends and family before Thanksgiving is now your concrete casket. I don't know that you'll want to, but I will have some of the videos of this story as well as some of those who went through the cave and made it out on my Facebook page. Amazon Prime also did one of those real-life to movies called The Last Descent. Now, if you're going to go watch the movie, it is super B-level it's pretty cheesy, in-between, not the greatest actors, not the greatest dialogue. In fact, I skipped most of the outside the cave stuff. But if you just wanted to get a little more of a visual, maybe your mind thinks that way. A lot of us like true crime and true stories and documentaries and things like that. Again, this is not a A-list film, but it does give you an idea of what it must have been like. Nutty Putty, claimed John's Life and no one will ever go in there again. I am going to do my best (laughs) to switch gears. I just had to share that story because it's been on my mind to where I'm I'm actually having dreams about it. It's just so unbelievably tragic and captivating. But I'm gonna do my best right now to switch gears. We're gonna take a little quick pause and as i mentioned last week i'm going to jump into the next part of this big move that we're making and i'm going to spend some time talking about my daughter and i got the dirt guys i got all the secrets i got all the things she doesn't want you to know i'm going to break it down cassidy dad's coming for you don't go anywhere boo Cassidy and this was long before Usher ruined me calling her my boo I'm referring to what most of you may have identified in that theme music the Pixar film Monsters Inc I'm Soli and Cassidy is boo I just also realized that we're already at the 30 minute mark of this podcast and if you haven't noticed over the last few, I've given up on my whole get done in 35 minutes. So if you have to split this up, that's fine by me. I just talk too much is the problem. But I did want to spend a little bit of time discussing the next part of some of the mental battles that are going on as we are preparing to move out of Texas in just a couple months. And that next chapter includes my daughter. The decision to move was already going to be difficult for various reasons that I've already mentioned before, but with Cassie and Aiden, things changed that we weren't really planning for or expecting. That's made it even more difficult. And so I want to spend the next two episodes talking about Cassie and Aiden and their personal journeys, where they've been, where they are right now, and what the future may hold for them. And of course, today we'll start with Cassidy. So as I mentioned, Cassidy, my boo. I hate Usher for doing that, but it's a good song. Um, Because (laughs) whenever I say, hey, boo, I don't think anymore of Monsters, Inc. I think of Usher whining over some R&B track. Anyways, Cassidy, I don't even know where to start. I often tell myself that God only trusted me enough to have one daughter. And if I let that belief and mindset go pretty far... It almost got reconfirmed when we lost Bella. Now, I don't know, obviously, that that is true. I'm sure people who know me would say, of course not. But that's always been something in the back of my mind that, for whatever reason, when we got pregnant and we found out that Cassidy was a girl, something inside even then told me she was going to be the only one I had. It was a weird situation because when you get pregnant, You only have two choices, although Demi Lovato would say differently. It's either going to be a boy or a girl, depending on what the doctors see on that sonogram. And so when my wife opened the envelope, which I can still see the office to this day, and she read off that it was a girl, for some reason I was extra shocked. But I had like something inside of me already feel a heaviness of a burden to be her dad. At this point, I'd only had my oldest son, Brian, so I didn't even have a reference point. Some people say, well, maybe it was the daddy's girl thing starting, but I didn't even know about that too much. I was fairly young and didn't spend a lot of time studying the attributes and actions of other parents. But something immediately was inside of me that felt this is different and she's going to need me differently. I have spent some time in the previous podcast episodes discussing some stories about Cassidy. If you want to go back and hear one, Purple Stars is probably one of my favorite stories ever about her. It took place when she was going into kindergarten for the first time. That's on one of my earlier episodes. I believe the title of the episode is Purple Stars, so I wouldn't be offended if you paused right now and went back to listen to that because I think it will bring the rest of this story together a little bit better. Who Cassidy was and who she is as I try to prepare my mind for what's to come as we have this natural process separation of the family counting down like the ball dropping over Times Square. So who is Cassidy? Wow, that is hard to capture in just a few moments, but she's always been someone that cares for others and a lot of that was displayed in her love for animals, which was a little bit of foreshadowing on her part without even knowing it. The similarities between her and her mom are uncanny. Her mom also knew that she wanted to be a teacher in kindergarten. Cassidy knew she wanted to be a vet just as early on. And she's shown that throughout her life. She's not only creative, she is incredibly talented. Like some people can be creative. Like I feel like I can be creative... But then if I pick up a pencil and paper, I spend two hours on it and then it looks like I was trying to do abstract art when I was trying to do an exact impression of someone's face. But she has the ability to just walk into her bedroom with a blank canvas, literally, and some paint and walk out with a work of art. Often I'll hear her teaching herself to play the piano, to which she's gotten really good at. She'll hear a new song on Spotify, and then within a couple hours, she's in there playing it. Then she'll decide to play and sing. And a lot of us can sing by definition, but she can sing by talent. Probably one of the best voices I've heard as far as amateur. I'm still frustrated that she will not express that talent a little bit more. But she's just naturally talented. I'm trying to think if there's anything that she has tried to do that she was just not good at, and I really can't, except for cooking. Sometimes she almost sets the house on fire, but I can't even do that, so I'm not going to judge her. But yeah, the creativity is, is just crazy. She'll start playing the piano, she'll pull my speaker into the room, hook up the microphone, and sometimes I feel like Adele's twin sisters in our house. It's often said... That parents miss their kids when they grow up and move on. Obviously, I mean, that makes sense. I get that. I spent some time talking about Empty Nest and Third Chapter on the previous episode. I've tried to maybe psych myself out or joke about the fact that there are some things I won't miss. Speaking of Cassidy, I love you, sweetheart. But (laughs) I'm not going to miss Miley. And it's not Miley's fault. And Miley is Cassidy's little wiener dog, who was named after Miley Cyrus before she went all Miley Cyrus. This was back Hannah Montana. Okay, so this was before all the chicken cutlet twerking. But I'm not going to miss Miley. <laughs> well, maybe I'll miss Miley, but I won't miss having to clean up after her and having to shampoo and vacuum the carpets yet again. And I'm not throwing Cassidy under the bus. I'm just saying... Those are the kind of things as a parent that you get frustrated with at the dirty house or the laundry or the dishes that you're like, oh, I just can't wait till this part of life is gone to where I don't have to pick up a dirty dish or step in dog pee. But obviously, all joking aside, there is truth to the statement. And I already know it's true in my heart. I'm trying to psych myself out, but I already know it's true in my heart because sometimes Nicole and I will just leave for the weekend to go away for a couple of days. And pretty much all we talk about is the kids. Are getting back to the kids, are checking in on the kids. So I understand what that means, that eventually, once they've moved on to start their own families, that you'll be sitting in that house wondering, man, I wish whatever, fill in the blank. Even some of the bad stuff, maybe. Both Cassidy and Aiden are going to be missing from our group, our family crew, hopefully just temporarily, in just a few weeks. And it is alarming the more I think about it, the closer we get to it. And even as much as I've thought about it, I don't fully have a grasp on what it's going to look like. I've been telling myself stuff like, well, Cassidy's gone all the time anyways. I mean, she works, she has school, she has a boyfriend, she's pretty much out of the house, and I kind of see her here and there a few minutes a day. And I try to use that as a measure, but I know that's not going to be the same thing at all. This new future for her is frightening for me beyond just the idea that she's finally stepping out on her own. The fact that there's going to be several hundred miles between us has added to that difficulty, and I'm trying to work through those emotions and thoughts without any reference point. One of the bad things about being the oldest among your friend group is that you are also going through some of these things for the first time with your friend group, so there's no one to talk to. I have spent my time on Google researching how to deal with your daughter moving out. So I have spent some time trying to search and research, but it almost feels like I'm, I'm lost in this bottomless pit of internet information that I can't grab onto that I'm afraid is only going to click when I actually am dealing with it. Her current state as well as her future also includes me, (laughs) hang on guys, me having to watch her fall for a guy. Now I have spoken before about the difficulty that she had finding someone as far as a boyfriend and it really wasn't because of her. She's had several people interested but she also has her guard up. She also doesn't just go with the flow. She also has standards and expectations. Even if the guy that's interested in her is someone that she finds attractive, she's always pumped the brakes to be sure that this is a good guy. Her ability to judge character and not just settle was something that... (laughs) I found a lot of comfort in. I was like, yeah, baby, none of them are good enough. You just stay single by yourself. They're never going to be good enough, sweetheart. Yeah, you probably just want to stay here. Yeah, just live with us. You don't have to get a boyfriend. Who needs marriage? I was taking advantage of the fact that she was just bumping into a bunch of guys that were not good. So I was able to capitalize on that. I did know eventually, and it was also part of my desires deep down buried underneath all the other dad desires that I did want her to find a good guy until she actually did. (laughs) Are there any dads out there that can help me with this? Um, I won't dig too deep into this, but as a father, as I'm learning these things and experiencing these things for the first time, it's very surreal. Okay, she's going to find someone eventually, What I want for her is to find someone that's good to her, a good guy, you know, whatever that even means. That's what I wanted. I just didn't want it to be a jerk or a douchebag, you know, but then she found a good guy. And now part of me is like, oh shit, is a good guy worse than a bad guy? (laughs) Because I don't know this guy a lot, but I've been around him a few times. He's been around the family and he's checking off all the boxes and I don't like it. Okay. I like it. but I don't like it. I get it, but I don't get it. So I wanted her to be with someone that was a good guy. And now that she is, I'm like, wait, maybe I didn't want that either. I remember coming to the house one evening and he was over and I, (laughs) this is the kind of moments that you're like, what the is going on? I went to take off my shoes and I set my men's shoes on the rack and I noticed, wait, there's another pair of men's shoes on the rack. There's only supposed to be one men's shoe in this house and it's mine. And I, (laughs) it's like those kind of silly moments that you can't find on the internet is what I'm talking about. Like I just took like a, who's men's shoes? Oh yeah. His men's shoes. One other moment that I felt a little bit of dad being slid down from the top shelf to maybe not the bottom, but probably the third. My daughter took a little trip. Did I mention this in the podcast? Hopefully I didn't. My daughter took a trip to Dallas where this young man happens to be from. But this was her very first girls trip out of the city on her own for a couple of days and when she got there i wanted to check in on her so she facetime called me to kind of walk me through the house to show me everything while she's doing that of course i have google maps loaded up and i'm zooming in to find out if there's any gang members around you know i'm doing that kind of thing and so she shows me the little place that they're staying at i'm like okay that's pretty nice and i said so how's the outside area look does it look like a nice part of town does everything feel kind of safe and normal and she responded with, Don't worry, Dad. But I already talked to my boyfriend. And he checked it out for me. Everything's okay. Yeah. Like that moment of... Delete it. Is what I felt. <laughs> in my heart. It wasn't. That's not what she meant. But that's like the the first little tiny steps. Like people just think about the wedding. And then when they have a baby. And they have their house. Those men's shoes in my entryway or checking to make sure it's safe for my girl. Those are the things where you start to feel like the grasp you had is starting to slip. I understand it's supposed to slip away, but I'm just going through it for the first time. So I'm a little freaked out about it. Okay. All joking aside, even though there's a lot of seriousness in that wherever this relationship goes or whatever her next relationship is, whoever ends up in her life for good as her dad, I simply want whoever that is to love her like I do, to take care of her like I do, to be there for her like I am. Now, I said simply, and maybe that's a little bit of an oxymoron, because maybe that's why dads eventually say no one's ever good enough for my little girl. I don't want her to experience pain. And if she does, I never want it to be something she has to face alone. And me trying to figure out how I hand that off to some other guy is nearly impossible to do. I think it's going to be one of those things that just it happens in the natural flow. You can't really prepare too much for it or know exactly what to do. That's my guess. I've talked to my father-in-law about it because I figured, hey, my father-in-law had a daughter who met me and got with me and married me. So let me talk to him about how he went through that and what his thought process was. And a lot of his answers were around the fact that you just go through the time when it happens. She's currently pursuing her dreams and her dream career. I mentioned earlier about the foreshadowing. She's studying to become a vet. Because she's pursuing being a vet, moving out of state would not make sense because she would run into out-of-state school costs. So it only makes sense for her financially to stay here, continue her schooling. And then when that part is done, she can decide where she's going to go. And I'm hoping it's where we are. She's not very good at doing chores around the house, but, <laughs> but she does have clear motivation about her future. And she has really focused in and settled into that. I'm trying to think how I'm going to function without seeing her daily. But I guess I'm going to have to. Obviously, this is the very beginning of this chapter that we're going into, and there's going to be a lot more things that take place over the next several months, and I plan to share those with you as I go through them. This is an experience that I'm going through for the first time. Even with my oldest son, I didn't get to experience a lot of the things I'm doing now because he moved out of state when he was 11. So I'm facing a lot of first times with with both of my older children. And while it's exciting, and I'm looking forward to it, and I got their back... There's also a big part of me that's kind of catching my breath and trying to just breathe. I'm certain that there's going to be several days ahead that I wish I could just hear her singing too loudly from down the hall or from in the shower. There's going to be several days that I wish I could watch her walk into the house with that giant bag from Buffalo Wild Wings with that I Love Wings smile on her face. Several days that I... Wish I could watch her get into a impromptu dance-off with her mother in the middle of the kitchen. Several days that I wish I could hear her instantly recognizable laugh. There's probably going to be a million other things that I probably won't even notice I'm missing until I realize it in the moment. This is not the end of the Paul-Cassidy father-daughter relationship by any means, but this chapter is closing. And I have to admit I'm incredibly anxious and even mentally reliving that godforsaken goodbye scene between Sully and Boo. Look at that. Yeah, you know. I you oh, that's cute. Yeah. No um, oh, I'm um. like that. Well, that's very nice. Come here, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a happy bear. Nothing's coming out of your closet to scare you anymore, right? Uh. Yeah. Goodbye, Boo. Kitty. Kitty has to go.